This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Country Hour across South Australia and Broken Hill. I'm Cassie Huff with you as some proper late spring weather is finally upon us. This warm spell might just bring on some of the crops that have been hanging on with all this cool, wet weather, which means you are going to need the Grain Producers SA Harvest playlist. The votes have been tallied. I have the top 10 in my hot little hand. Almost a thousand songs were submitted as part of GPSA's Harvest 100 playlist call out. And I Love that just about all the songs have that have made the, the top 10 have some sort of country or driving or rain connotation. So throughout the program, I am going to tell you the top 10 songs that have made the uh, GPSA Harvest 100 playlist. And uh, why don't you have a shot at uh, which song you think took out the number one spot. You can text me on 1300 991 or text 04679 There's a bit of a clue in that uh, it has something to do with either rain or driving or harvest in some way it has some sort of connotation. So that's a bit of a, a clue. And I might actually let you know which song has come in 10th place. I'll drip feed through the program and I might even, if I have time, play the number one song at the end of the program. So the song that came in 10th place is Boys from the Bush from Lee Kernigan. So that is not the number one song. So have a guess at the number one song, but I'll let you know as we get through the program. Also, Soon you're going to hear how the meeting on Kangaroo Island went to address the ferry shortages, which caused problems for livestock producers that rely on it. So if all of a sudden those stock are loaded and ready to go and the boats cancelled or broken down, then those livestock can't go. So that lets down the the throughput of abattoirs. Uh, The livestock quite often can't go back to the property. So it creates huge problems. More on that soon, but I've been talking a little about harvest and with some rain out there, maybe people have had a chance to get onto paddocks and see if they've dried out, but large stretches of bean crops in the lower southeast have been decimated by this recent wet weather combined with humid days and storm fronts. Millicent Livestock producer and cropper Sam Crosser shared a video recently on social media showing the damage and says some paddocks have been entirely lost while others have seen at least 50% yield reduction. He says while striped grass has heavily impacted wheat crops, it's chocolate spot and the other fungal diseases causing heavy losses in broad beans. It just keeps raining like continuously and then, I mean, we're not flooded out any like they are in the eastern states, but there's water laying in a lot of paddocks, probably as wet as it's been all year. And then when the sun does come out, the humidity just goes through the roof and that's just a perfect storm for the fungal diseases, I suppose. You've obviously been keeping a pretty close eye on things. The video that you posted, though, showed some pretty heartbreaking realities. Yeah, it just showed that a disease chocolate spot that, yeah, can take off pretty quickly in the right conditions, just, yeah, pretty much infected the plant from top to bottom. Uh, from bottom to top, like it normally in the lower canopy, but just yeah, when the conditions are right, it just goes right up the top and there's on all the flowers and all the leaves, and yeah, they're all falling off now. So mm. there's pretty much six foot crop with nothing left. What does that mean now? What what happens from here? Don't know. That's a million dollar question because we've in some years you get some losses or patches, wet patches that might be affected and that, but we generally have a fungicide program that can keep it under control, but. 
even when you can get on the paddocks and put them on, they just don't seem to be working. The disease pressure's too high. So, mm. Yeah, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I've sort of been looking at it, but the paddocks are too wet anyway. I thought about silaging them, but, yeah, there's withholding periods on fungicides and... Now that all the leaves dropped off, there's not really much other than stalk, so it'll be an expensive exercise for not much reward. So, yeah, there's not really too many beans there even just to turn the sheep in on. So, mm. I don't know, I might plough them in as a green manure crop and try and get a fodder crop in maybe yeah. when it dries out. Millicent so. such a renowned area for beans particularly, and, you know, really it, it looked like such a cracking season um, but it certainly hasn't turned out that way are you what are you hearing from neighbors and and others in the industry yeah no we we had a dry winter which was good it's generally pretty good for cropping and yeah they're all looking pretty good I mean there's been a lot of rust in the crops and there's even a bit of mildew and stuff now but it's been extra fungicides going out and some varieties have been better than others but we've sort of been able to keep on to it but yeah you you only got to be, it's been pretty windy and a lot of rain, so sometimes you know you've got to get it done, but the condition, you just can't get on the paddock. So, yeah, it hasn't been an ideal season. It's been very challenging and very expensive. So to lose lose crops right at the end, yeah, hurts a bit. You have been in the game for a while. Is this the wettest or, or you know, the wettest spring that you can remember in recent history? Yeah, well, we had a dry summer and a dry autumn, and then we had when we did get the break, it was quite good, and then it was a mild winter. But then, yeah, spring has just not stopped raining, so it's the wettest I've seen for the start of November. Trying to get shearing done and all those sort of things, so it's yeah, it's going to be interesting when the sun does come. A lot of flies. Yeah, I'm be standing in a photo right now that I've sown, and it's pretty much a write-off as well. So probably 150 mil a couple of weeks. So yeah. Yeah. Not ideal. I mean, there's plenty worse off over in the eastern states there, you know, a couple of feet underwater. So, yeah, it could be worse, I guess, but, yeah, definitely not ideal. How, how much of the crop um, would you say is impacted? Oh, the bean crop itself, I would say there's not too many. Everyone's sort of, we're about to apply more fungicides, but, yeah, we walk away from a lot of crops, they're gone. So, I don't know, it's a fairly big impact on the beans, I would imagine. No, there's 100% loss in a lot of paddocks, so... And even the ones that are still there, I'd say at least 50% yield reduction. But it's hard to say, but, yeah, it's pretty pretty devastating. That sounds just awful. Millicent Farmer, Sam Cross is speaking with Liz Rymel, particularly when it's been such a... Oh, there's such good pricing out there possibly um, to be able to tap into. It's been a tough time for bean and pulse crops this spring. Speaking of harvest, the Harvest 100 voted on by you. As I said, uh, Lee Kernigan came in in 10th place with Boys from the Bush. I've got a couple of other ones for you now. And number nine is Lights on the Hill by Slim Dusty. And in eighth place, Have You Ever Seen the Rain by Cleedance Clearwater Revival. I think uh, Sam there perhaps has seen a bit more rain than he wanted to in the last few weeks. But uh, that was probably my vote, actually. I do like that song by Credence. So uh, that has come in at eighth. We've still got a few more to go before we get to number one at the end of the program. But if you want to have a bit of a... Hunt it. What do you think? What, uh, took out the number one place? Text me zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one or phone one three hundred triple two eight nine one.
to Kangaroo Island now, where the council is feeling positive after a roundtable meeting, which was caused to, called to address the current ferry shortages. The council invited Sealink to meet with agriculture and tourism representatives to discuss the need for reliable ferries ahead of the peak tourism and tr- livestock transporting season. Mayor Michael Pengilly says while the service operator has been accommodating, council has asked Sealink to run more services. There have been some reliability problems lately, which uh, we worked through today. So that's been a cause of concern. That's been uh, a hindrance to getting livestock off the island. It's the peak livestock season on Kangaroo Island, plus the visitor numbers are picking up. So continuity of services and reliability uh, are very much top of the list. And as you mentioned, everybody came together today uh, in a roundtable to discuss some of these availability concerns. Who was represented there today? Yes, so we had Agriculture KI, the KI Brand and Business Alliance, plus the KI Tourism Alliance and Council, of course. Uh, We met about six weeks ago and uh, we came up with some points and we asked the Sealink organisation to come along today which they did, and we had some good, useful discussions, constructive discussions about where things are going. We got some information regarding the future services and where things are at with reliability and the uh, the building of two new boats. So um, we, we're satisfied where we're at. We've given Sealink some questions that they need some time to consider to come back, and uh, the council and the group will meet with Sealink probably in four to five weeks. What were some of those questions that you put to Sealink? Uh, on the reliability, uh, on the flexibility of uh, their operation, whether they can run more services if required. We raised concerns over uh, people, locals, not being able to get on and off the island uh, sometimes. That's been a problem since they changed the, uh, uh, the booking system. So all those things came up. But the principal reason we met this morning was to do with uh, services on livestock and um, transport of people during the busy season. My understanding is that this is the first time Sealink was represented at one of the transport roundtable meetings. Why haven't they uh, attended before? Because we needed to meet initially. We've only had one other meeting. We needed to meet initially to work out whether we're all on the same page and then indeed if we could put some problems together and uh, as we saw and go to Sealink, which we did today, we invited them back today. I made that very clear to Sealink that we weren't excluding them initially. We had to uh, work out where we were at first. And what are some of the issues that producers are, are facing at the moment in terms of moving their livestock, even before it does get to that peak busy season? Well, there are problems. If boats are cancelled, uh, livestock are booked into abattoirs on the mainland. They may be in South Australia, they may be in Victoria or New South Wales. So if all of a sudden those stock are loaded and ready to go and the boat's cancelled or broken down, then those livestock can't go. So that lets down the, the throughput of abattoirs. Uh, the livestock quite often can't go back to the property. So it creates huge problems. And we just need to talk through how they accommodate that and how to get things uh, going round and round the way they should be. And what impact does the exporting timetable and the ferry timetable and their clashes play in in this? Well, let's be clear. Sealink have actually worked uh, with island producers and island companies to ensure that livestock can get out early in the morning or whenever. They run a 5.30 boat, which quite often this time of year is loaded up with livestock. So um, they, they've attempted to do so, but uh, the fact that we've had this one vessel has had a few problems, which is uh, it causes problems right across the board 
both with visitors, uh, locals, livestock, general freight. We just need to get that sorted out. And in fairness to them, they are trying to sort that out. They are going to have to do some jobs on one of the vessels, which uh, is going to cost quite a bit. And they're, they're prepared to do that and they will do that. So hopefully we've moved a step in the right direction. Kangaroo Island Mayor Michael Pengilly speaking with Dimitri Panagiotaris there. Hopefully they can get those reliability issues solved. It's 17 minutes past 12. The ongoing wet conditions are providing plenty of feed, but it's also proving to be a difficult calving season for some. A vet based in Bordertown in the southeast says there's been an increased number of assisted calving incidents as the abundant food supply leads to fatter cows and even bigger calves. But vet Rebecca Densley says the rainfall is also bringing benefits. Where there's lots of rain, there's lots of feed and that helps with things like fertility and certainly helps with growing out young livestock and preparing them for sale, etc. Have you seen more successful numbers in terms of uh, breeding and birthing then as well? Preg testing overall, we've we've probably seen really been getting really good results on average in terms of numbers of animals pregnant. Yeah, for sure. So with that, expectant cattle and livestock eating more throughout their pregnancies, what sort of an impact does that play on the actual birth? Yeah, so we've certainly, particularly with the with calvings, probably more so with than lambings this year, but with calvings in particular, we've definitely been doing an increased instance of assisted calving so there's been a lot of heifers in particular that have perhaps gotten a little bit too fat in the later stages of pregnancy and um, also when you've got a, a massive food supply it can lead to massive growth of the calves young calves developing inside the mother so if you end up with a, a sort of a fat or slightly overweight mother and a large calf that's a very bad combination because the fat in the mother tends to deposit in the pelvis making the canal, the birth canal a bit narrower um, and then you're trying to get a bigger calf out of there. So we've uh, certainly been assisting more and probably been doing a greater number of cesareans than what we normally would in this district at least. Oof. What does that mean as well for the ongoing breeding opportunities of, of that mother? Yeah, well, it, it does limit them. I usually say to people if we've, if we've done a cesarean, obviously it's up to the farmer, but I usually say, look, if we've had to do it one cesarean, you're probably better off culling that cow out of the herd because she's at higher risk of having increased problems in future in future births as well so we can do a second cesarean but it's you know it's more difficult the second time around if it's necessary the second time around. Is this something that livestock producers can manage? Look it is difficult in this in years like this and seasons like this Um, obviously we do have a certain amount of control as to how much feed availability we allow our animals access to but in years like this where just every single place on your farm is just absolutely full of feed it's difficult to really limit their limit their feed supply and prevent them getting over fat Um, and you know it would be an awesome year to get some extra livestock and pop them on the farm to spread the feed load out over a lot a lot more animals but that's difficult as well obviously you can't just snap your fingers and have an increased herd or flock size and then also you've got to prepare for the next year which won't be the same. 
Border Town vet Rebecca Denzey speaking with Beck Chave there. There's also issues with uh, the, the ground being so wet, causing things like foot rot in sheep as well. So if you are seeing lameness, uh, a bit of lameness, fair bit of lameness in your crops, in your crops, in your flocks, then uh, it's worth contacting a vet as well. We'll have more on what's happening weather-wise. It's warm, this is going to get rather warm across the state this week, but there could be some rain in the end of the week on the way as well. So I'll have more from the Weather Bureau then. But to the far west of New South Wales, more than 30 Menindee residents attended a community drop-in session on Friday about the flooding situation there and water releases from the lakes. The ABC understands water New South Wales will be increasing outflows from the town's main weir from 25,000 gigalitres to 36,000 gigalitres. But locals say they are frustrated by authorities when acting on issues like accommodation and communication as moderate flooding has been expected, uh, is expected I should say, until mid-January for Menindee. Yusuf Saudi spoke with Barkindji woman Barbara Quayle on the concerns she has for her family. One person can be telling her one thing and another person telling mum, which is Patricia Gwale, she lives down there, she's an 82-year-old woman, and one minute they're telling her one thing and then the next minute they're telling her she has to get out. And then when we ring up for accommodation, we know that there's a house up there for the Shire. And when my partner rang the Shire, he said, he said, I'm not spending any more money on it. Well, do you know what? You need to pull your head in because we're talking about people that's going to be flooded out of their homes and if we can give them shelter, well, why not? Why not help somebody that needs help? And so what are you doing here today? Well, I thought it was a forum to see what's going on, if the town's going to be flooded. As you're saying, can you tell me a bit about the concerns you have with councils at the moment? No communication. Got to have a communication, more communication. Needs to be more on top of it. Look what's happening to communities upstream that's been inundated... What would you like to see from council and other water authorities at the moment? More proper information sessions, what's going on, and help people to understand what's going to happen. I think it was a waste of time because they showed us graphs and um, information that I didn't understand. So, And I made that point clear. Um, I still don't know what's going on. So it was a waste of money, waste of resources to actually come out and have people still walk away um, scratching their heads, not knowing what's going on. Like we've got, I've got a niece that lives right at the, on one of the back streets and the water's right there at the back of her house. They post things on Facebook, but unless you understand the megalitres and gigalitres and stuff like that, you don't understand. But how does the river being full make you feel? It's good for the country, you know. There's, it's a lot of healing going on. As you can see on your drive out, the country looks healthy and plentiful and the rain's been good. So once they get over the, the flooding, hopefully it just doesn't go back to where it's mismanaged again, where there's no water in the system. That was Barkindji woman Barbara Quayle. Central Darlingshire General Manager Greg Hill says he was doing his best on addressing concerns like communication, accommodation and road access. Yeah, it was a good day. The ones who approached us and approached the different agencies, I think um, they appreciated the information they received. Obviously, there was a number of people who stood out and stood away and um, didn't approach us, but um, everyone's going to have a different view on how, the, how it's communicated. I think we're doing our best with the information we got. With uh, with that type of session, with a drop-in session, people can approach, approach us and uh, ask specific questions. We can sit down and have a conversation about their specific uh, items. But uh, a community um, 
meeting as such where three or four people will just end up talking over top of other people and people won't the people who actually need the information won't be able to to have an opportunity to speak or ask questions so Community member Graham McCrabb says the move to incrementally increase releases from Menindee's Weir 32 showed a lack of thought process. Yeah, there's no doubt that 36 is, is probably good for the environment, but I think the um, the ball's been dropped on making airspace. We, we don't have to be at 36 here in town. We could have been taking a lot more proactive action through the year. That sort of relates back to that those conversations earlier on in January about making airspace and and, and utilising the opportunity to get an environmental outcome. So, you know, there's times this year where we could have been much higher um, and nowhere near 36. You know, we're going to jump from 25 to 36. You know, it's a 30% increase at this height. It, it shows a lack of thought process coming into a triple R Nina with a negative IOD for the third time in a century. Community member Graham McCrabb speaking with Yusuf Saudi with some additional reporting from Bill Ormond. So definitely still watching what's happening in the far west of New South Wales and some of that water is on its way to South Australia as well. We'll get to weather just in a, a moment, but uh, as I was saying, uh, we've got the uh, the Harvest 100 songs that have been coming in. Ten was uh, Lee Kernigan, Boys from the Bush. Number nine, Slim Dusty Lights on the Hill. Eight... Have you ever seen the rain by Credence Clearwater Revival? Number seven is Working Class Man by Jimmy Barnes and six, Blake Shelton, God's Country. That was getting quite a lot of votes. Uh, I thought that one might have win, won, but uh, it has only come in at number six. So I'll tell you what the top five are in the second half of the program. But we'll find out what's making news in weather with Simon Timkey. Good afternoon. G'day, Cassie. So it's quite warm. It sure is. After a, a pretty cool uh, first half of, uh, or first two thirds of spring, we're we're finally seeing some uh, some higher temperatures, and and most districts are uh, uh, are going to be hot through the middle part of the week, even very hot over parts of the far north and uh, and and far west. Um, part of the reason for that is the is the airstream. We're in a northeast to northerly airstream uh, ahead of an approaching low pressure trough currently over uh, the southeast of Western Australia. We're seeing uh, some associated cloud with that uh, low pressure trough over the western part of the state uh, and there uh, is the odd shower or, or thunderstorm uh, over the far west uh, for the rest of today with that. If you can imagine a line, sort of a, a north-south line roughly through Sejuna west of that line uh, is where we're expecting uh, those showers and thunderstorms today. The storms could possibly be severe as well through uh, the, the later part of the afternoon and early evening with uh, gusty winds possible, possibly damaging winds with some of, those, some of those storms out to the far west there. Over central and eastern parts, though, conditions remaining um, dry today, mostly clear skies, just a, a, a little bit of cloud developing over some of the eastern districts now, but, uh, but plenty of sunshine uh, um, showing through uh, today. Over the next couple of days, that uh, low pressure trough over WA will move um, slowly eastwards and we'll see the weather move eastwards with it as well. Uh, for Tuesday, showers and, and possible gusty thunderstorms extending across uh, western districts, so Air Peninsula, West Coast District, Northwest Pastoral and the far west of the northeast pastoral district, all all a chance of seeing some showers and possible thunderstorms tomorrow, uh, and like today, a chance in the the western part of that area that there could be some uh, some gusty uh, thunderstorms with potentially damaging winds as well. Uh, over central districts should be mostly dry, but just a slight chance through the afternoon period that there could be a shower possibly a rumble of thunder, but eastern districts should remain dry on Tuesday, I think. And again, like today, hot conditions over, over most parts. 
on Wednesday, continuing eastward movement of that with the potential for severe thunderstorms over central parts of the state. Uh, and then on Thursday, that weather contracting to eastern districts. Uh, and then Friday, uh, the odd light shower about southern coastal districts and showers developing, redeveloping from the west with the next trough, which will move across over the weekend and bring showers and possible storms to most districts again over the weekend. Uh, as far as the rainfall totals go for that period out to the end of Friday. Uh, generally, most uh, districts will receive some rainfall, but uh, the order of 2 to 10 millimetres is what we're forecasting. But with the thunderstorms, there could be some locally heavier falls of 10 to 25 millimetres. Uh, those falls most likely over the northwest pastoral, Air Peninsula and West Coast districts. But the thunderstorms could, could produce some higher falls over, over the other districts as well. But, but generally not the, the big rainfall totals that we saw earlier in the season, uh, Cassie. Thanks so much for that. I think people would like it to be just completely flat, fine, but uh, I think they'll, they'll take the sunshine at least in the interim. Thanks so much for that, Simon Timkey. Thanks, Cassie. Simon Tinky there from the Bureau of Meteorology. In the far west of New South Wales, the upper western will be mostly sunny tomorrow. There is a slight chance of a shower in the far east, but basically zero chance anywhere else. There could be a thunderstorm in the far east as well. Overnight, it will get down to 14 to 17 degrees, but daytime temperatures reaching around 30 degrees. The lower western will be mostly sunny. There's also a slight chance of a shower in the far east. There may be a thunderstorm in that area as well in the morning and afternoon. It'll get down to 13 to 16 degrees, but up to 28 to 32 degrees as we approach 12.30. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Cassie Huff. Cassie Huff. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program. I'm so glad you could join me. Coming up, the quiet achiever of Maipalonga has won South Australia's Ag Town of the Year. A finalist last year, that town has now won this year in 2022, and I can tell you why soon. Their entrepreneurial spirit and their ability to, to adapt and diversify as well. Also, there might be some concerns about flooding in the far west of New South Wales, but it's also brought back some native plants as well. So I'll tell you about how things are looking on the native plant scene in the far west of New South Wales around Broken Hill and Menindee soon as well. And uh, Grain Producers SA, the Harvest 100 playlist has been released and uh, we're letting you know the top 10 songs that have been voted on by you. I've been saying uh, number 10 was Boys from the Bush, Lee Kernigan. Number 9, Lights on the Hill by Slim Dusty. 8 was Have You Ever Seen the Rain, Credence Killywater Revival. Maybe not so much at this uh, time of year, but uh, certainly have seen a bit of rain lately. Uh, number 7, Working Class Man, Jimmy Barnes. And number 6, God's Country by Blake Shelton. So all of the, the songs seem to have some sort of uh, driving or rain or harvest connotations of some description. Um, we've got a suggestion in it for the winner as uh, uh, When Rain Tumbles Down in July by Slim. Well, Slim is in there with the lights on the hill. Uh, he could be number one um, because I will give you a clue that one of the uh, artists that has made the, the 
uh, number 10 to number 5 is actually the winning uh, artist for the number 1 position, but I will tell you what that is in the next half hour. Feel free to have a guess. Text me 0467 922891 or phone 1300 222891. I will tell you what the top five are soon, but first we'll find out what's making news with Matt Coleman. Good afternoon. Hello. Hello, Cassie. In the news this afternoon, the Premier says a thorough investigation will take place into a fire lit at Adelaide's high-security prison that led to more than 100 prisoners being evacuated. Two prisoners allegedly lit a fire in their cell at Yatla yesterday. They and three staff members were taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. The state's Transport Minister says the review of the final stage of Adelaide's North-South Corridor project will be released before the mid-year budget review next month. The government ordered the review when it came to power in March, claiming the project was suffering delays and cost blowouts, and Medibank says more Australians will be put at risk if it paid a ransom to its hackers. The health insurer has announced that it won't be agreeing to the demands of cyber criminals who've stolen the personal data of almost 10 million current and former customers. More news at one o'clock. Thanks for that, Matt. Now, Friday night was a roller coaster of emotions for the Minister for Primary Industries and Regional Development, Claire Scriven. My Polonga was announced as the Ag Town of the Year at an awards mm-hmm. ceremony. But sadly, on the same night, the Sturin Research Centre, run by Sadi, was lost in a fire. Brooke Nindorf caught up with Minister Scriven. Firstly, about why My Polonga was named the Ag Town of the Year. Uh, small but mighty is, is my post tagline, and I think they have really demonstrated that, which is why they've won Ag Town of the Year for 2022. Uh, the judges said that some of the things that really sort of stood out was their entrepreneurial spirit and their ability to to adapt and diversify as well. So, for example, they're traditionally you know a dairy in, a, a dairy region, but they have expanded out into you know buffalo milk and goat milk. Again, traditionally, a stone fruit was their main, one of their main industries, uh, but they've diversified even further out from that. So uh, I think really around you know, their, their innovative spirit and their entrepreneurial spirit, uh, and that entrepreneurial spirit is something that's even reflected through into the primary school where the students are uh, encouraged in uh, businesses themselves uh, in, in many ways. So you know, quite a lot uh, coming through from Michael Longer. And uh, I think it's a very well-deserved win. I imagine it would have been a pretty tough job picking the, the winner this year. Maipalonga doing some fantastic things, but all the, the finalists, Sam, all f- fantastic ag towns of the year. That's right. And the judges did say that it was really incredibly difficult to, to pick a winner because there were so many worthy finalists. Uh, that was Crystal Brook, Kapunda, Oruru and Wakery. So uh, they've all done incredibly well in, in different ways, uh, but it was Maipalonga this year. What do you think it, an award like this does for a town like my Polonga? Look, I think there's a, a few things. Um, it it shows that you know that gives them the public recognition of their town, and I think that's important from you know from a sort of a human point of view. But it also attracts people to come and visit the town. Uh, there's a, a two-page spread that they uh, they have in the FA Life magazine as a result of winning. Uh, there's been a number of events and coverages in media of. Uh, the finalists and now of the winner. 
So that does encourage more people to visit the town, which in turn then uh, helps to, to boost the economy further. So there's a lot of real advantages in terms of what they do get uh, out of winning this award. It sounded like it was a fantastic night and, and while there was those celebrations happening, unfortunately some sad news over the weekend as well with the Struan Research Centre burning down. There was a fire there and um, what have you heard since then, Minister, about um, about what's happened? Yeah, that was very, very sad news. So that was overnight, Friday night. Uh, a fire broke out in the, um, it appears in the laboratories of the centre and the entire buildings were destroyed. And now fortunately, the historic Strawn House uh, was not affected or not, not destroyed. Uh, and that's because of the incredible work, hard work of the CFS and emergency services workers there. So, you know, heartfelt thanks to them for, for their very strong efforts. And of course, most importantly, uh, we know there was no loss of life of, of any people uh, and also no loss of life of any of the animals that are in that precinct. But uh, it, is, it is upsetting. We're still working through what impacts it might have. We know that the uh, completed research, that's all digitised, so the outcomes of that you know, won't have been lost or affected, which is, which is good, um, but we're still working through what impacts there may be on current research. What about the researchers that are working there? What happens there now? So we've um, been making arrangements for them to work from different premises, either other research facilities or work from home or work from the PERSA office in that Gambia. So I'm sure it's very distressing for them, seeing their workplace you know, just destroyed and devastated. The, the pictures are awful. I'm hoping to get up there uh, fairly soon myself. Um, so it must be very difficult for them. Uh, but importantly, there was, there was no injury uh, or loss of life. You said about the the work there um, that's being done now. A lot of it is digitised and, and obviously kept on on computers and things like that. But was there anything that you know of that was lost that you know for research in the state that might not be able to be got back? But we're still working through what the uh, impacts are, what what that will be will sort of become clearer. I think in the coming days. What sort of priority do you put on this now to to get this up and going again as soon as possible and and rebuilding um, the Stuart Research Centre? Well, the department will be working through the insurance arrangements again over the, the coming days uh, and then we'll have more information to be able to determine what's the next steps and what are the, ne- are the best steps uh, and how quickly uh, things can be, be up and running again. Primary Industries and Regional Development Minister Claire Scriven speaking with Brooke Nindorf about the uh, awful events at Struan on the weekend. Fortunately, the the main house, the the famous Struan house, wasn't burnt, but still a lot of research has been affected. So we'll keep you up to date on on just what has been affected by that awful fire. But some good news there as well, a bit of a rollercoaster of emotions there. Uh, Some good news there for Maipalonga, the town that has won the Ag Town of the Year. Now, uh, this is... uh, Big win for what is a relatively little town. Maipalonga is in the heart of the Murray Lands, about an hour and a half east of Adelaide. And the submission was put forward by the Maipalonga Progress Association in conjunction with Wallflat, Palomena and Tura. And Steve Hine is the chair of the Maipalonga Progress Association. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Really good. That's good. You must be uh, elated with the win. What uh, what does it mean to a small area like Mapalonga and, as I mentioned, those surrounding areas of Wall, Flatura and Palamana to be named Ag Town of the Year? Personally, I think it's just fantastic uh, news for the for the locals of the area. A lot of them are third, fourth and fifth generation um, primary producers in this area. 
And the flow-on effects, um, as the Minister mentioned there, with extra um, tourism and that sort of things will, will come. But we produce a, a lot of produce, um, fruit, vegetables, uh, broadacre crops, uh, long meat, veggies, uh, sorry, meat and um, other primary production goods that um, go all around the world these days. So it's massive for us. And can you talk about how... My Belonga has transformed because it was very much a dairy farming area, lots of dairy flats there down near the river, but it has changed so much. Can you talk me through some of the big changes that would have been seen in the last 10 years? Yeah, so in the last 10 years, following the um, drought of the early 2000s, I guess, um, things have had to change to to remain sustainable. So we've now got buffalo dairies, goat dairies, uh, robotic dairies all happening in Maipalonga. On the irrigated area with the fruit, we've got a whole range of other fruit rather than just orange or citrus and stone fruit now with avocados and pomegranates and uh, probably the most notable one, um, olives. And you came close last year. You've had a few cracks at this. What do you think was different this year? Did you change your tactics or approach in any way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first year we, we didn't make the finals. Last year we made the finals, one of the top five. And um, last year it was concentrated around the, the communi- community and, and the businesses. This year we took it back to um, promoting agriculture um, across the area. And I think that's um, part of, of what got us over the line. The the way the district um, blends itself from the school through to the sporting clubs, emergency services, it's all one big family, which you know, a lot of country communities are exactly the same. But uh, I think um, Maipo is, is very much a, um, once you've been a Maipolongian, you're always a Maipolongian. <laughs> and it's a town, as you said, with lots of different industries, a, a, an astonishing array of industries, really, for, for uh, what's a relatively small town. But it's not somewhere that gets a lot of tourism. And how will the Progress Association try to now capitalise on this award to try and maybe attract a bit more interest to the of tourism to the area? Yeah, I think it'll be twofold, Cassie. Um, part of it will be um, the straight-out tourism. Maipalonga's got an area called Wood Lane, which is well-renowned um, from a riverfront ski beach area, um, very popular during the summer. That gets a lot of tourism, but as far as the actual broadacre side of it goes, I think we can capitalise again on those um, industries or, or businesses that have been created in the last five to ten years to value-add um, to the produce specifically um, and, and help promote that, whether that's tourism into MIPO or more uh, marketing um, of their product um, around state and uh, further afield. Well, congratulations on the win. I I visited earlier this year. It's a wonderful spot and well worth a visit. And I I was dazzled by by just the range of produce coming out of that area. You think of the the Riverland as having such big crops and such a range. You might not have the the size and the scale of the Riverland, but you've certainly got the diversity there at Maipalonga. So uh, I hope you do see uh, a lot of interest in the area. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Congratulations there to Steve Hine, who is the chair of the Maipalonga Progress Association. Jared Bettio is the general manager of Rio Vista Olives, a business in the Maipalonga region. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So what do you think this win will mean for you as someone who runs a business and has been interested in raising the profile of Maipalonga? Uh, well, it's, it's an amazing um, uh, effect for the area just to get that bit of recognition at least now when you say 
our products made in Waipalonga, more people will know about it. Um, we've always been proud of this area, but I'm hoping it now is the start of it getting the recognition it deserves. And you do things like uh, olive oil tastings and things like that. I know there isn't really much of a, a centre in Maipalonga. Do you think that this will lead to perhaps more uh, cafes and businesses trying to, to capitalise on, on the variety of produce that is available in the area? I hope so. We've definitely got um, the drive here in the community to, to have those sort of facilities. Um, if the tourists are, are coming, I'm sure that they uh, the facilities will, will follow closely as well behind it. And you had some success recently with your olives. What was that? Oh, we, we usually support the uh, Australian Awards and SA Awards and also one that um, features the Murray Lance. We had we had a pretty good run this year. I think 16 gold, 19 silver and I think three champions oil. So it was a pretty good pretty good season. Is there much olive oil production around Maipalonga? Uh there's a little bit. We've got um, three groves here ourselves and then there's two other local growers that, that also support our facility. But I guess um, being sort of central, the Murray lands, we, we look after growers from as far away as Taylorville and Riverton uh, right down towards Watertown. So it's it's a pretty central place, which makes it pretty good for um, for being a facility for olive processing in the in the area. Do you think that centralness from uh, the point of view of various regions in South Australia will help play into perhaps building Maipalonga's profile through the Ag Town of the Year win? Oh, I would hope so. I think what Maipalonga's got going for it, most of all, though, is the community spirit. And I think that's going to help to push Maipalonga along more than anything else. As Steve mentioned, uh, once you've got Maipalonga in your blood, it's very hard to get it out. So I think more people that get to know it, the more people that will love the place. Thank you so much for coming on and congratulations both uh, on the win as a Maipolongian and uh, and with the uh, olive oil as well. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Bye. Jared Batillo, General Manager of Rio Vista Olives there, a, uh, a local in the area, and uh, Steve Hine is the chair of the Maipolonga Progress Association just celebrating that win as Ag Town of the Year. They had a couple of cracks and finally took out the big win. It's a quarter to one. With ABC Listen, explore a whole new world of podcasts and live radio, like unpicking fast fashion in Veronica Milsom's podcast, Threads. The marketing tricks being used on us right now. Or learning to spend less and live better with Nazim Hussain's Pineapple Project. Do we all really need it? And if we do, how do we get it for cheap? The ABC Listen app. A whole new world of live radio and on-demand audio entertainment. Download it now from your app store. You're listening to Cassie Huff on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Well, we are getting close to the number one song on Grand Producers SA's Harvest 100 playlist. The the songs all seem to reflect something to do with harvest or rain or driving. And uh, we're up to number five, which is Thank God I'm a Country Boy by John Denver. I'm glad it's the John Denver version and not uh, the techno version that was released recently in the about 
10 or 15 years ago that was not, not, I was not a particular fan of, but John Denver song, great song. So that one's come in at number five and Harvest Time by Luke Bryan has come in at number four. So we've still got the top three yet to uh, announce, but I will try to play the winning song at the end of the program. But in the meantime, we've been talking a lot about rain on this program lately. According to the Bureau of Meteorology, Australia had their second highest average rain area uh, av- area average rainfall for October since 1975. In the far west of New South Wales, Broken Hill followed with recording their wettest October ever. Aboriginal bush food producer David Doyle believes with the increased rain that's around, he's seen the most native plant species in a decade. The Barkindji and Maliingapa man spoke to reporter Yusuf Saudi at Stevens Creek Reservoir about how he felt about the added water. Much as it's been destructive to the rest of the countryside and people getting around, it's amazing to see all the water around. It's been great for the um, coming out of the drought, the resilience of the countryside and the plant life that's coming back. Plants are one of my passions, the natives, and I just love to see them flourishing. There's things that are growing at the moment that I hadn't seen for a really, really long time. How does that make you feel as a Barkindji and Maliangapa man? It makes me feel really good that and shows the how the countryside can bounce back as well as the people that are growing that live here we go with how the um, environment is you know we're coming we're just coming out of one of the worst droughts well it's one of the worst the worst drought that I can remember and we're coming into some of the the best seasons as well and so how does this year compare to or even just the past month compared to the past 10 years uh, the the amount of rainfall we've had has been amazing to see and be part of i've traveled around a little bit and it it has you know it's caused a bit of issues with where we can and can't travel but it's all part of nature really and i I love to see the rain i love to see it i don't mind it when it cuts off roads and we can't get places as long as people aren't left without food and water i think it's a good thing why is this water important to you so this is going to sustain the countryside for a, a, quite a long time. You know, it's, this is what, when we go back into drought, this is what will keep the, the plants nourished, the uh, animals watered. After all of this has gone away, it's also the, what's going to sustain the countryside for a long time as well. What do you think your relationship with the water is? Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, sure. Look, for us being river people, is quite well, we're really connected to it. When there's water available, we also, you know, it makes us feel better about the place. But, you know, that water that sustains the animals and the plants also helps to sustain us as the, the countryside flourishes, so do our, us as people. So right now we're on Stevens Creek surrounded by water flowing. How does this make you feel? To have the water flowing, to be able to see it still, um, to see it, we've obviously had enough that it's going to continue to flow and build up in some of those spaces that haven't had water for a long time so it's given to drink uh, a drink to areas that haven't had water for such a long time yeah well you're involved with making bush food how has that been like with the increased rain but my interest in the bush food is in building over a couple of years now and to be able to witness the countryside flourishing and then to see some of the plants that i haven't seen since i was probably a teenager around and available and abundant really to, um, has been fantastic because there's some of the plants now I can take photos of, um, showcase how we traditionally use them, how we can use them more contemporarily as well as um, the medicinal and nutritional benefits of it has been really good. So to be able to show what the country can provide for us when we look after it, um, even though we haven't made it rain, it's been really 
you know, beneficial to, to me, I suppose, to, to be able to showcase some of those things. What kind of native plants have you seen flourish in the area? So this time last year I went around and um, I'd been looking for a native mint, which are the river mint, that I hadn't seen for a really long time, but I knew that it grew in our region. And last year I found two plants and I thought, that's great, you know, I'll be able to find more of it because I'd located the region that they were growing and the type of countryside that they were growing in. They're the only two plants I found for a whole year. So I'd gone back to the place again this year, about a month ago, and there's probably about two dozen of the same plant growing in the area. So to be able to see that one growing... And then also to be reproducing has been really fantastic. I think it was due to the animals having to rely on eating plants that they normally wouldn't eat because these are highly aromatic plants that the animals generally stay away from, but they're um, now having a chance to, to recover and regenerate, which is what this rain's done for us. You know, It's helping everything in the countryside recover from the drought that we'd been through, and not just the plants and the animals, but also us. You know, We're, we're regenerating our health as getting better because we've got it around us at the moment. And with this water, it's filled dams. What do you think you would like to see in regards to water management now in the area? You know, I'm I'm one person that's all for um, the natural cycles of things. So pretty much when it rains, we should let it go where it wants to and stay where it wants and not to dam it up and keep it for one particular lot of people or another. That was Yusuf Saudi speaking there with the Barkindji man and Aboriginal bush food producer David Doyle. And uh, it's, it's certainly been a remarkable uh, turnaround there. And we've been talking a lot about rain. I've actually had a rain-suggested song uh, that has come in speaking about the Harvest 100, which is Who'll Stop the Rain by Credence Clearwater Revival. It's a good suggestion because I did say that one of the top 10, the the 5 to 10, uh, was also the artist who took out the number one spot and uh, Have You Ever Seen the Rain by Credence Clearwater Revival came in at number eight, but it is not Who'll Stop the Rain by Credence. We've got... Number three has come in as Thunderstruck by ACDC. And number two is International Harvester by Craig Morgan. I don't actually know that song. I knew all the others, but not that one. So I might have to give that one a listen. But the winning song that was selected by over a thousand song entries that were submitted to Grain Producers Essays Inaugural Harvest 100 is Driving Wheels by Jimmy Barnes. And there will be a lot of driving wheels across this state as harvest starts to ramp up with this warmer weather. So we might uh, finish off the program with some Driving Wheels by Jimmy Barnes.
Driving Wheels by Jimmy Barnes. Good and Aussie made the number one spot in the Harvest 100 that was voted on by you as part of Grand Producers' essays, inaugural Harvest 100. Uh, good to see an all-time Australian rock classic taking out the number one spot. Uh, about uh, 60% of the votes actually came in from Grain Producers, so uh, hopefully it will get a bit of a listen during this harvest. Uh, I think you have to go to the Grain Producers' essay website if you want to find the playlist, so uh, I do hope it means you're able to get onto your crops soon if they are ripening and uh, you've been able to uh, <laughs> maybe avoid some of the rain and the damage associated with it. Fingers crossed this harvest does go smoothly. More coming up on your ABC Local Radio this afternoon with Caroline Winter. Good afternoon. Hello. Bit of Jimmy Barnes. Yeah. We don't get to play songs you very much don't. on this program so I took a bit of a chance. No, nothing like a, a leap of faith. That's a good one to choose. Um, coming up, we're going to be asking how young is too young to start teaching young people about being cyber safe and careful around computers um, and the internet because there is one expert who says five is the age we should start teaching them. Wow. Well, I mean, it's omnipresent these days. Absolutely. Keep listening to ABC Local Radio for that important conversation coming up at one o'clock. There are so many ways to keep informed. Safe heritage listing does provide some important protection. It doesn't prevent any development on the parkland. Leading news and current affairs. ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.